Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, what's happening, everybody? It's Topher here and happy, happy Monday or whenever you are getting to this podcast episode. And Jeff and I, a little nostalgic right now. We are dangerously close to our 200th episode We've been doing this for over three years now, and we just honestly cannot believe where this podcast has gone to. And we want to thank everybody so, so, so much. Uh, thousands and thousands of people are listening to our Hockey Think Tank podcast now, and we honestly can't believe it. And so what we wanted to do as we got closer to 200 is we understand and recognize that we have a lot of new people to this podcast that haven't been listening maybe from the beginning And at the beginning, Jeff and I, we kind of introduced ourselves in certain podcast episodes. And a couple weeks ago, we re-released our first episode where I interviewed Jeff, which was absolutely hilarious, just what it sounded like and the quality and everything like that. Um, And this week, we wanted to flip the script. And uh, we are re-releasing an episode where Jeff actually introduced and interviewed me. And so a little embarrassing, but it's uh, pretty, pretty cool to go back and and listen to this one. So, you know, for everybody out there that, uh, you know, that is a little bit newer to our podcast, this is going to be one where I open up about my journey in the hockey world, what's important to me, some of my highlights, some of the times that maybe weren't so easy and some of the struggles and uh, overall get to know me a little bit better as we go through this podcast journey together. So um, I'm looking forward to it. A little scary. It's can't believe it's uh, about three years ago since we released this one, but we really, really hope you enjoyed it. And before we do get over to there, though, I uh, just want to thank the people that make this podcast go. We want to thank our title sponsor, Gel Sticks. They've been with us every step of the way, so go to gelstx.com to get a discount on a weighted training stick. We want to thank Train Heroic, the app that houses Jeff's workouts that thousands of people around the world are using right now. We want to thank icehockeysystems.com. They are the number one site to go to to better yourself in this hockey world. Thousands of drills a drill drawing tool that you can use and you can use it to send to your players and your coaches within your organization and uh, just an amazing website and amazing resource for anybody that wants to get better in hockey. And another sponsor that we have this week through our parent company, Blue Wire Pods, and that is HelloFresh. And HelloFresh is an unbelievable nutritional food company. You know how much Jeff and I believe in nutrition, especially Jeff, he talks about it all the time on our podcast and HelloFresh it uh, it's a company that delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week after you order it and so you get the convenience of having healthy meals without skimping on the quality and you skip trips to the grocery store save the weight in long lines there and ensures you don't waste money on excess food i know we do that in our house with three small kids all the time Um, and it offers the flexibility you need to easily customize your orders online or on the app for what you want to eat if you want to do your meal planning for yourself 
or for your family. You can easily change your delivery day, food preferences. Um, you can plan the size, skip a week, whatever you want to do. This is just an amazing service. And like I said, it's something that I have used. It saved us a lot of time. Three kids under five in our house. This has been an unbelievable value add to our household. And so if you want to uh, use HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash ThinkTank16 and use the code ThinkTank16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. What an unbelievable uh, thing that you can get for yourself or you can get for your family or provide a gift to somebody else. So again, go to HelloFresh.com slash ThinkTank16. Use the code ThinkTank16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. I apologize for my voice here this week. I was at a top 20 showcase with my team, my U16 team. We unfortunately lost out in the semifinals, but uh, it was an amazing weekend. Lost my voice from coaching all of those games. Uh, but uh, I, I really hope that you enjoy this episode here. Uh, bearing the soul a little bit from me on this one, something that we did about three years ago. And uh, we hope you have a great week and uh, have a hockey day. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go for a little bit of education little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. In today's podcast episode, we actually are going to flip the script. And uh, Jeffrey over here is going to actually interview me about my journey uh, through the hockey world and, and what has kind of led me to where I am today. So, uh, But before we get to that, let's just uh, let's introduce the man, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's going on today? Uh... I feel like um, I've got the black lung pop. I'm over <laughs> here uh, coughing my head up like I'm Zoolander right now, but uh, I'm committed. I'm here. I'm showing up, baby. I like it. I like it. So uh, I guess let's just uh, hand it off to to you. To to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I've I've been wanting to do this episode uh, with you since the first episode of the Hockey Think Tank podcast, where it was you interviewing me. Um, since you had quite a following already on Twitter, you were kind of introducing uh, me to your followers, and everybody's been asking, "Well, when are you going to interview Tolf?" And so I've been pretty pretty excited, and just want to go through uh, through the man. Topher Christopher Scott. So I'd like to start by saying Topher is a few months older than me. Uh, we're both 85 birth years. Uh, I grew up always in Topher's shadow, even though <laughs> he was quite a bit. No, I'm serious. Even though Toph was quite a bit shorter than me, Toph was, I mean, there were literally people when, when you would go to tournaments that would say like, oh, he's the next Gretzky. I remember hearing somebody Ew. say that. I swear to God, a tournament in Canada. Tolf was so good at an advanced age. It was unbelievable. The things that he was, was doing with the puck and the way he saw the ice. Ugh, what so happened? I, <laughs> shut up. Man. So I always looked up to Tolf. Um, you know, after a great minor hockey career, uh, he made the Chicago Steel at 15 years old. And I'm guessing he was the youngest player to ever play in the USHL at that point in time. 
Uh, I still remember where I was in my house in St. Louis when he called me and he said, hey man, I just made this USHL team, the Chicago Steel. And I said, what's the USHL? Didn't even know what it was at that time. Um, but I was excited for him and I actually went and lived with him that year. So it was really cool getting to see, you know, my big cousin play his first year in junior hockey. Uh, Toph wound up playing for the Steel for four years, one of which in those years he blew his knee out. And I remember that being one of the toughest times of his life. Um, you know, he, he wasn't playing for the easiest coaches in Chicago. Uh, Mr. Richmond was a guy who he loved playing for, but was a demanding coach. And, you know, it was a little bit different growing up and having all these amateur coaches who were always in your corner. And then you go to juniors and it kind of becomes a business and coaches are trying to get the most out of you any way they can. And I remember that being pretty tough for him. And then he blew his knee out, but Toph being Toph, the resilient mother effer that he is, he came back even stronger. He wound up being an assistant captain his second to last year with the Chicago steel, putting up 52 points in 60 games. I'll repeat that 52 points. Oh no, that was his last year, 52 points in 60 games. And he was the cheddar last season. He's wearing the cheddar at five, four in the USHL, 21 goals from not a goal scorer. So that was pretty impressive for, uh, for me to look at that stat last night. He then went on to play for Cornell university, uh, Ivy league, obviously, cause he's got the brains and all I've ever heard about is how the fans love this guy. I mean, Cornell, if you guys have never watched Cornell hockey, they love big boys over at the big red. Uh, they're called the Big Red for a reason because those guys are absolute monsters. Like they love six two, six three, six four, just massive human beings. Topher, well, Topher's elite prospect says five six. However, we all know Topher's hanging around maybe like five four point three seven nine. So when you would pan the bench and it would be six three, six three, six four, six four, six three, five four, six three, six four, just some of the pictures from him standing on the bench were unbelievable. Tof being Tof, absolutely killing it, wound up being an assistant captain his junior year, and he actually wore the C, the cheddar, his senior year. He had over 100 points in Division I college hockey playing for an Ivy League school. And those of you that don't know, Ivy Leagues generally play a few less games than the rest of college hockey. So for him to put up over 100 points at 5-4, unbelievable. He then finished his college career, went to the Elmira Jackals in the ECHL, putting up four points in seven games. Not a big deal. Uh, the following, the following two years. Can we get years, through this? Jeez. Uh, no. <laughs> the following, I told you, I'm going to make it sweet, baby. The following two years, Toe played in the CHL for a couple of different teams. One of them being uh, for one of my former coaches at Western Michigan, Chris Brooks. Uh, he went on to be an, a graduate assistant at Miami of Ohio working with a lot of top talent. Some of the guys in St. Louis that I know actually has been pretty cool to hear their side of things, how Tolf was as a coach right out of the gate. Then he wound up at Cornell, his alma mater, obviously. I mean, I thought he was going to be the president of that school uh, after visiting there for his wedding, but he wound up at Cornell as an assistant coach for a few years. And, um, you know, after that, he decided he wanted to have a family. And for those of you who don't know, when you're a new assistant coach in the college hockey world, you are low on the totem pole. Tolf was telling me he was out of town 230 days a year. And that is insane. It was all recruiting. 
And at the end of the day, luckily, his wife, Emma, is an absolute rock star and a babe. And they decided they wanted to start a family. Tolf left his college coaching gig. And now you know him as the hockey think tank guy. He's all over social media. His main goal is to make hockey players, coaches, fans, parents, everyone have a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of knowledge, a little (laughs) bit of this, as you know from his intro. But uh, he's one of the best human beings I know. And uh, here he is. So let's take it over to him and let's have him kind of tell his story and and how he got into the hockey world and, and growing up. Let's start there. Well, thank you for that introduction. Jeffrey, I'm blushing. Um, I grew up in it. I mean, as you know, your your or I should say, my dad and your mom's side of the family grew up with hockey, and my mom's side of the family grew up with hockey, and um, it's kind of been a part of my blood um, ever since I was born. I think there's a, a picture of me as a baby in the hospital with little knitted skates on. So, um, just uh, something that I was born into, and uh, very, very fortunate that uh, both sides of my family were were really passionate about the game. That's awesome, and <clears throat> I mean, I just remember always coming to your house in Chicago, and I don't know, I don't even know if we ever hung out with the rest of the family. We just went right downstairs and started playing hockey. You, me, the uncles. You know, back then, those older dads and uncles of ours would always be beating us on purpose and chopping my feet, and I'd get so mad at them. <laughs> now I'm older, and I can beat them up, and I love it. But, um, you know, I, I'd like to take it to when you played for the Chicago Young Americans. And we've already talked about what Stan Stiopkin did for the way that you looked at the game. But for those of you who don't know, uh, TOEF won the Bantam National Championship. Um, how old were you? What's, what's a Bantam now? I don't even know how old that is. I think is. it was Four, like eighth grade, freshman year of high school maybe, something like that. So 13, 14 years old. TOEF played on the best team in the country. And, you know, like I always talk about my hockey rankings, blah, blah, blah. Like I don't care about that stuff. I care that the kids get better every day. And on this team, my God, did they get better every day. I mean, do you even know how many guys you had play D1 from that team or, or go pro? I mean, you had many guys go pro and a few guys play in the NHL for sustainable careers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to kind of talk about the story of what led to that team first, though, um, because I think that's it, it epitomizes what I think about youth hockey today. And, you know, growing up, I always kind of played up a level. And up until I think it was my Pee Wee major year, um, you know, I played with the 84 group, but then I got cut um, for that 84 group. And I basically didn't have a place to go. Um, there was no other place to, to go and play. And, and uh, just by happenstance, um, this team Illinois coached by this Russian guy who we had never never heard of or anything like that. They had a spot open on their team. So um, because it was pretty much the only place to go, we went and, um, you know, he did a practice and, and my dad and myself, my dad played college hockey, just kind of fell in love with what he was doing. Um, very innovative, very outside the box stuff that we had never seen before. Um, and uh, it, it was amazing. Our team was, was really, really, really bad. Um, we had A players and double A players on our team and we were playing a triple A schedule. And, and at the beginning of the year, um, you know, we were getting, getting smoked, uh, pretty bad, but because of Stan, our, our coach, 
Um, we just kept getting better and better and better and better. Focus. We played like it's kind of like the ADM now. We played so many games, um, a ton of skill work. We had literally had zero systems. It was just go out there and and play the game. Um, and so by the end of the year, you know, we were in games and we were winning games and stuff like that. And you know, then the way that youth hockey is today the uh you know the other team across town with all the better players they stole all of our better players <laughs> and, and they went over to go play for them and my 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 parents were like you're not going like we're going to continue to play with this coach and so I was like okay because I love playing for them and um so again we started from the bottom and you know didn't do so well at the at the beginning of the year and then eventually we started beating teams that we shouldn't have been beaten and uh it was it was an incredible year and then you know all the other good players who were on the other side of town they were kind of like hey like what's going on over there you know these kids keep getting better and better and better. So we eventually kind of merged the two teams and the best players from each team played together for this guy, Stan Stiopkin, who you talked about. And, uh, and it just took off from there. Um, like you said, we had, um, one guy who ended up playing in the NHL, his name is Mikey Brown, um, played a lot of games. He was almost like an enforcer. But the funny thing about Mikey is that, um, he was the last guy picked for the team. The last guy picked for that team was the guy that made it the farthest, which just kind of goes to show you, right? Like everybody wants to peg kids at, at such a young age, and it's just it's you shouldn't. Mikey was an unbelievably hard worker. He's a great guy, and you know ended up two years later playing the national development program and going to Michigan on a full scholarship. It's just so that's why when it gets so professionalized and and so. Um, just pegging young kids is the next thing and all that from such a young age. It's just, it's not the right thing at all. Um, and eventually that team, and, and we've talked about on, on earlier podcasts, some of the outside the box things that Stan did with us in terms of doing things for our skill development and conditioning level and, and things like that. But um, he was an unbelievable coach. I want to say we had probably eight or nine guys that ended up playing Division One or in the OHL. A uh, bunch of guys that went up and, and played pro hockey. Mikey was the only one that made it to the NHL, but it was, a, it was a special, special year to say the least. And a lot of what I learned from Stan and, and just seeing how much I got better in those three years that I played for him, um, that experience has, has shaped a lot of what I see in, in youth hockey today. Yeah, I remember, you know, we we ba- we touched on this for like a second in one of the most recent podcasts, but we went up, you know, Topher and I are the same age, like I said in the intro there. We went up and played against you, and you guys played without a goalie, and you beat us 7-1. to one. I scored the empty net, not a big deal. 7-1 um, <laughs> to one without a goalie, you beat us. Like, my God, wasn't was Al Montoya not on your team? No, he wasn't on our team at that point. I had played with oh. him a little bit younger, like when we were mites and squirts, but uh, at that point he had moved on to, uh, I think he was playing high school. Yeah, there's another thing. He was playing high school hockey at the time. And That's uh, right. He stopped playing AAA to play high school. That's yeah. right. And yeah. then he wound up at Michigan. Two, two, three years later. National and, development program, yeah, uh, all yeah. that kind of stuff, yep. Yeah. Crazy. All right, so let's take it to the day you made it for the Chicago Steel. So you're a 15-year-old trying out in the USHL. What happens? Um, it was crazy. Um, it was the first year that the USHL was in Chicago, and, you know, just being from Chicago and our team being as good as we were, um, you know, it was just like, hey, let's go to tryouts and, and just get an experience and just kind of see what it's like and – um, you know, it's funny cause I ended up, uh, you know, leading the tryouts and scoring and, and, and ended up making the team. 
Um, and it was, uh, it was crazy. It was crazy. We didn't know what the USHL was. We didn't know what junior hockey was, um, you know, nothing. Um, but Steve Richmond, like you said, was, was the coach and, and, uh, you know, I'd grown up, he was my squirt double a coach and, and his son, Danny Richmond was one of my best friends growing up and everything. And, um, so my parents trusted Steve and, and, uh, you know, ended up making the team and, um, what an experience that year was to say the least. <laughs> so let's, let's go through that because that is a very, especially back then when there was so many, you know, 19, 20 year olds in the league, what was that experience like being that young? And then because we've talked about this and I know your answer, looking back, do you think that maybe you tried to go to juniors too early? Uh, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. That was a really, really tough year. Um, for me. And, and again, it, obviously the hockey was a lot better than what I was used to, but I think the biggest thing that was an adjustment, it was tough for me was as a 15 year old, you're interested in much different things than 18, 19 and 20 year olds. And you have certain life experiences that, uh, you know, that are very minor compared to what these guys have gone through. And, um, I think just the, the whole fitting in part and the whole, um, just getting it, acclimated to, to what junior hockey is, you know, I, I was a deer in headlights and, uh, you know, we had some good guys on the team, but at the end of the day, it was, it was a tough transition for me. Um, again, looking back, I, I certainly went way, way, way too early. Um, you know, I, I don't have any idea if my development was better or worse because of it. Um, I, I learned a lot and, and I, you know, we talk about resiliency all the time. I had to figure some stuff out on my own end and on how to make it. And, um, so it was a tough experience, but at the end of the day, I think it was good for me. It kind of made me grow up a little bit faster than maybe I should have, but, um, it was a tough year. I, that's, and that's why, you know, kids like junior hockey, don't, there's no rush to get there. There's no rush to get to junior hockey. I can tell you from personal experience that, you know, living at home and, and being with your mom and dad and being disciplined by your mom and dad and all that kind of stuff. I was fortunate that I was able to live at home and play junior hockey, but there's no rush to get there. No rush at all. So I, uh, I obviously completely agree. I mean, I'd rather a kid go into juniors and be a little bit more on the overprepared side than underprepared side. But also to play devil's advocate for me, I always like to be challenged. You know, like I felt like, okay, like if I got to work harder to get up there, then I'm going to play better, you know. So I understand what you're saying there. But let's let's take it to uh, the process of you deciding on a college and colleges talking to you. Because, you know, a lot of kids are wanting to have that. They want colleges to talk to them. They want to play junior, uh, college hockey. Um, what was that process like and, and kind of how did it happen? Not just with Cornell, but all the teams you talked to. And I know that they stopped talking to you through your injury. So let's go through all of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was my third year playing in Chicago. I was a senior in high school and, and put a ton of work in, you know, that summer before was the first summer where I really dedicated myself, you know, solely to the game and, and, you know, started you know, working out and all that kind of stuff and had a great summer, came into camp in the best shape I'd ever been in and, and was really excited and, and really confident and went into, I think we told the story a couple of podcasts ago, went into the fall classic. They used to call it the Buck Bowl. It was in Des Moines at the time and uh, went into the fall classic and, and uh, you played really well in the three games that I was there and, you know, led the USHL in scoring in the tournament. And um, it, to be honest with you, it was so, so, so surreal because I grew up in Chicago and always wanted to go to the Michigans and the Wisconsins and the Notre Dames and things like, things like that. And, you know, a ton of these schools that I always looked up going to, they 
wanted to talk to me after the game. And I thought that was really cool because that had never happened before. And, you know, I had seen teammates playing junior hockey, getting their college commitments and, you know, them being really excited and seeing how much it, it, it meant to them. And, you know, finally, this was kind of my time to, to experience that kind of thing. So talked to a bunch of different schools after that. And, um, you know, the first game of the season after the preseason, we're up in Green Bay. It was actually the first game ever at the Resch Center, the, the new rink that they have up there in Green Bay. And, uh, tore my ACL going to the net hard looking for a rebound goalie covered the puck and just tried to stop and just I don't even know what happened but just a little tweak in the knee and there I was I was out and uh, ended up missing four or five months and um, that was tough because after that injury there was only one school Brown that uh, that decided to keep in touch with me and um, so again learning experience and I remember talking to my parents after that and um, just being what are we going to get out of this? You know, this obviously sucks. Um, it's a, it's a tough situation, but how can we find a positive in it? And, um, you know, I had an unbelievable physical therapist and, and, uh, worked, I, like I set a goal. And the funny thing about it is one of my best friends growing up that was actually on that team, uh, that CYA team, his name is Danny Bernard, ended up going to Notre Dame. He actually tore his ACL that exact same game. And he did it like five minutes before I did just the weirdest thing ever but uh, so Danny and I kind of had each other to get us through the injuries and we pushed each other and competed with each other we both had a goal that we were going to get back after four months with four months which is you know earlier than and then they told us we were going to but we were like screw you (laughs) like we're not going to be out that long and uh, we ended up again just being on the phone and pushing each other and I'm very fortunate to have Danny because we ended up coming back at the target date that we had set probably a little bit early looking back now. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, ended up, um, playing the last couple games of the year and our team didn't make the playoffs. So it was a really, really short year. And then that next year, um, you know, ended up playing pretty well and, and, uh, and ended up committing to Cornell, which was something that was really cool. Great education, great hockey. Um, the year before I got recruited, they made the Frozen Four, and one of the biggest reasons why I went to Cornell is, is I, I love to compete and I love to win. I hate to lose. And for a team of that caliber, they had just been to the Frozen Four. Um, you know, they had a lot of big guys, like you said, and they were looking for me to come in and, and uh, play more of an offensive role and, and things like that. I obviously had to earn it, but that's kind of where they saw me. Um, and, uh, just, it was the perfect fit. Went on a visit out there. Love the coaches, love the play for the most, you know, for the biggest thing is I just love the guys. Like it was just an unbelievable group of guys. And, uh, that's, that's a big reason of why I ended up going to Cornell. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I mean, so anybody listening to this who has an injury, you can always, you can always look at the positives, always look at the bright sides. And that's what Tolf did. And I remember when he was going through that and the guy comes back and he scores, uh, 21 goals in the USHL after the first three years in the USHL, he had five, 10 and two tears his M tears his ACL comes back and he scores 21. So perseverance, learning lessons, determination, like, just because you get injured and you're knocked down, it doesn't mean you're out. 
So, Toph, let's take it to uh, to your career at Cornell, college hockey. How someone of I know we always talk about your size, but back then hockey was. I mean, when we played college hockey, I call when I was playing college hockey, I called it football on skates. <laughs> everyone was just getting as strong as they possibly could. And it was just running around full speed and hitting each other. It was crazy. So for the smaller guys out there listening, cause there are, and now it's, you know, it's a lot easier to be smaller in the game of hockey. How did that, uh, how did that challenge go for you? And, and how did you see college hockey? Um, I mean, I, I absolutely loved my experience at Cornell. It was, uh, it was an amazing four years and uh, we won a lot um, playing in front of, I would call it the best fans in college hockey, the, the line of faithful. There's, there's nothing like it. And I even remember after my first game there, I had a couple goals and the whole crowd is chanting my name. And it was like, <laughs> it was, it was so cool. Cause playing in Chicago and junior hockey, the, the, we didn't get any fans. There were other teams that got fans, but like we didn't. So it was the first time where my home crowd was, was actually really cool. And, uh, you know, my first two years at Cornell, uh, we made the NCAA tournament. We won a championship, the ECAC championship, my freshman year. Um, and uh, we made the final eight. We were a goal away. We lost in overtime to Minnesota my freshman year to go to the Frozen Four, and we lost in triple overtime against Wisconsin my sophomore year to go to, go to the Frozen Four. And uh, it was – those those games sucked. <laughs> that, was, that was tough. But um, I think the best part about my time at Cornell, honestly, is the culture that we had there was amazing. Like the guys and the people that the coaching staff recruited, I mean, it was – I mean, I have best friends for life, and, and I know a lot, of, a lot of teams say that, but I think that's a huge part of the reason that we were so good was we just, you know, everybody was bought in, everybody was pulling on the same rope, you know, everybody played their role, um, we were tough, like nobody wanted to play against us because we were big and tough and hit and physical and, and just grinded you down. Um, and uh, I got to play with some really, really special players. I think one of the guys that, that really showed me the ropes was Matt Molson. Um, you know, he was a, uh, a junior coming in uh, when I was a freshman. He was like an All-American. He was, he was a stud, leading scorer, all that kind of stuff. But he was an unbelievable leader. Um, and I still remember my first day on campus, like he invited me out um, to do a workout, just me and him, like just to get to know me. And he bagged me, <laughs> completely bagged me yeah. on the football field. Um, but it was amazing because, you know, at that time, everybody comes in as a freshman or you get to a new team, maybe it's junior hockey. And, you know, specifically for me, I always had to be the guy that worked the hardest because of my size. And then I got to Cornell and, and Moles took me out for that workout um, and, uh, there was a whole nother level that I needed to get to. And he showed me how, what it meant to be a Cornell hockey player. And he showed me, you know, how hard I needed to work to succeed at Cornell. And, and, uh, you know, just learning little lessons like that is, is amazing. And, you know, I made a, I made a point to, to kind of try and learn from a bunch of the older guys. We had such a good senior class and junior class that, that showed us the rope. And I think that leadership aspect was such a huge part of the reason why we were so successful too. Um, and, and that's why I believe so so much in culture. I believe so much in people. You know, a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is not necessarily X's and O's or, you know, ways to, um, in terms of team, you know, doing things like skill development stuff. We obviously talk a lot about that, but I want to really make sure that people get, get across the point that, uh, you know, it, it's all about team. And, and, and that's why I love my experience at Cornell so much. We just had an unbelievable group of guys. So how did you guys pick captains there? Did the coaches pick captains? Did the team, did the players pick captains? Because you were an assistant as a junior, 
and you wore the C as a senior. So that's just kind of something I was interested in. Yeah, no, the players pick the captains. So we get in and it depends. Sometimes we did it, you know, right after the year. Sometimes we waited after the summer um, and and picked it to see, you know, how guys worked and stuff during during the summer and wouldn't pick them to the fall. But um, yeah, the players pick the captains. I think that's the way to go. I mean, Shafe always used to say, dogs, no dogs. And, uh, you know, you could think one thing as a coach, but, you know, if the players have a different perception, then, uh, you know, you could be picking the wrong, the wrong people. And typically it's pretty, pretty similar from what the coaches think to what the, uh, what the players think, having been on both sides. But, uh, yeah, we always had the players pick the captains. Very cool. <clears throat> so you leave Cornell after your senior year, and your first pro stop is in Elmira in the East Coast League. Let's hear about it. How was uh, how was Elmira? I know how that town is, but I mean, how was Elmira? I mean, it was really cool. It was pro hockey, man. Like it was, it was the East Coast League. Unfortunately, our season ended a, a little bit earlier. We were like one of the last teams out of the tournament, uh, so we didn't make the NCAA tournament that year. Um, but got a chance to sign a contract and finish the year in Elmira, which is only 45 minutes away from where Cornell is. So, you know, I was still able to kind of get to some classes and, and, uh, and things like that. Um, but it was a great experience and it was, um, again, very different pro hockey is very different than than college hockey in, in terms of the way the game is played and it, you know it's a lot more of a thinking game and um you know i i really enjoyed it and uh just a funny story about my first couple games in in elmira um my line mate was you probably know him you might have played with him in providence bobby robbins you remember him at all he was there after after I was already gone because he went over to Europe and came back and then he wound up making the NHL. Yeah, right? the fighter. So yeah. yeah, so Bobby Robbins is like a six foot three, six foot four, just huge, jack, gigantic maniac. Like he, like his role is to be a tough guy. And there's some unbelievable clips of him on YouTube. I encourage everybody who's listening to to go on YouTube Bobby Robbins because he is hilarious. But you know, in my first couple games, and this really was an initiation into pro hockey and I played on a line with them and he goes Tof he goes I want you to take the puck to the next uh to the net on the next shift and kind of bump the goalie so I'm like really he's like yeah just kind of go give him like a little elbow or whatever when he covers the puck so I'm like all right so we get in the offensive zone and um I get the puck and I take it to the net and the goalie covers the puck and I kind of bump the goalie which is obviously a no-no so you know two or three of their guys come up to me and, you know, they give me a face wash or whatever. And then here comes Bobby Robbins coming in. And he goes, if any one of you mother effers touch this kid again for the rest of the game, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, what? Like, oh, my God. Like, you kind of scared me a little bit. But, dude, I didn't get touched the rest of the game. Like literally I had more time and space than I had ever had in my entire life. And I ended up having two assists in that game. A couple, uh, one of them was the Bobby and like, it was just the, Oh man, that's such, such a great thing about pro hockey. I think is just that, 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 uh, I don't know that intangible factor, right. Um, that, that you don't get in college. So I, I just thought that that was a really, really cool story to, just to start my pro career. But, um, you know, it was tough too, because, you know, I scored a hundred points in college, like, like you said, and, and was expecting, you know, hopefully to get an AHL contract and stuff like that. Uh, nope. Not one, not one team called me from the AHL. I had a couple teams in the coast call me and, and, uh, I was like, holy crap, like that's pretty tough. And, um, but then ended up, you know, signing with Elmira for that next year and came in 
I only signed a one-way coast contract um, and went to training camp there and, and, you know, was playing first line in the first couple preseason games. And then, you know, pro hockey, the way that it is, some of the guys from the AHL got called down and I got bumped down to the second line, a little less ice time. Then a couple more guys got sent down from the AHL, got bumped down to the third line. You know, in two weeks into training camp, I, I went from having uh, what I would consider a pretty good career at Cornell um, and I got cut. I got released from the East Coast League. <laughs> and um, I was, it was tough. Like, you know, I thought I was out playing guys. Maybe I wasn't. That, that was just my opinion. But ended up, you know, just getting less and less ice time as, as guys kept coming down from the A. And, and then uh, obviously being on a one-way coast deal, I, I got released. And so I had nowhere to go. Um, and then ended up, you know, signing a contract in the Central Hockey League uh, with the, the Texas Brahmas at the time and um, spent a couple couple months there. And, and then I got traded in the Central Hockey League. So <laughs> I went from, you know, being on cloud nine after my Cornell career to getting cut from the East Coast League and traded in the Central Hockey League. And and uh, it, it was that was, you know, a moment of reckoning for me. Like, I, I just I didn't know what to do. Uh, but I ended up going to, to the Rio Grande Valley Killer Bees in the Central Hockey League and, um, you know, tried to work hard and tried to stay positive. And we had a great year that year. We had a lot, a lot of younger guys on that team, um, a lot of them from college that, uh, you know, we did a lot of stuff together and, and uh, had a great culture and, and really enjoyed it. And so came back the next year and, and I talked about it, I think, a couple podcasts ago that we had a different different culture the next year brought in some new players some older guys that were kind of at the end of their careers that didn't care as much and, and that really didn't sit well with me um so uh, and I didn't handle it in the best way I, I would have done a lot of things differently that last year um you know had I gone back and knowing what I know now and tried to enjoy it a little bit more instead of being pissed off all the time about uh you know the way that things were going um in terms of our team but um, it was a great learning experience, and uh, I learned a lot through those ups and downs um, through those last couple of years, and um, j- just goes to show you that, uh, you know, everything is a learning experience, and, and I'm a big believer in what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, I'd like you to tell the people in more detail kind of that whole situation where things roll downhill in professional hockey. For the people who don't know how hard it is, and Tof kind of said all oh, the East Coast and all oh, the CHL. Back then, the CHL was actually really good. The CHL was almost on par with the with the East Coast League, wouldn't you say back then? Yeah, and it's a merged Very league similar. now. So, like, all the there's a bunch of teams that were in the Central Hockey League that are that are in the East Coast League now when they when they uh, merge together. Right, and so here we have Topher Scott, who's the captain of one of the best teams in college hockey, over 100 points in college hockey, and he can't get an American League deal, and he's in the coast and half a year later he's getting released so that just tells you how hard it is to make it up the ranks in pro hockey but Tof, i want you to kind of explain you said all guys got sent down from the american league and and just kind of talk about that for the people who don't know how pro hockey works you've got nhl contracts then you've got two-way contracts where it's nhl ahl where if you're in the nhl you make a certain salary if you're in the ahl you make a certain salary but you can go back and forth uh you know, seamlessly. Then there's just AHL contracts. Then there's AHL East Coast contracts. Then there's just East Coast contracts. So kind of talk about how those guys coming down, how that affected you and how it really probably had nothing to do with how you were playing. You said you were playing great. I believe you were probably one of the best players on that team, but in pro hockey, sometimes it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, 
here's what I'll say. I, I disagree with you in the fact that I didn't play as well as I should have because if I did, then I still would have been there, right? Like I could have been playing well, but at the end of the day, had I been playing better, I would have been there um, because there were other guys that were there that were probably on one-way contracts. But um, I, I don't like pointing fingers and I don't like people, you know, blaming things on circumstances. Um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, had I done better than even I thought I could, then I would still be there. But yeah. Um, so the guys that were on the two way contracts, AHL East coast league, um, the, uh, the AHL team that we were affiliated with at the time was Binghamton. Um, so, you know, guys were coming down from Binghamton after getting cut from up there. And, uh, you know, if you're a draft pick or you're an AHL guy, they obviously want you to get back up there. So you'll get a little bit more playing time, a little bit more of a role. Um, and I just became the odd man out and, and, uh, ended up having to pack my car, drive through Chicago <laughs> to pick up some more stuff. And, uh, I think overall it was a 27 hour car ride in two days that I did to get down to, uh, to Texas. But, Ooh. um, yeah, yeah, that was, that was tough, but, um, that's pro hockey. And when you have a dream and you're passionate about something, you, you go to the ends of the earth to try and make it happen. Um, and, uh, unfortunately just, didn't go the way that I had always, always imagined. So what, what made you, uh, retire from playing? What, what happened? Oh man, I wasn't ready to be done playing. I wasn't ready to be done playing at all. I loved playing hockey. I, I, like I said, that last year was tough, but I still was playing hockey for a living. And that was, that was something that was unbelievable. But I knew at some point that I wanted to get into, uh, I wanted to get into to coaching, um, and uh, I had kept a really close relationship with uh, one of our assistant coaches. His name is Brent Brecky uh, at Cornell, and he's actually an assistant coach at Clarkson right now. Consider him a, a really good friend and a mentor. Uh, but he was coaching at Miami of Ohio after he uh, he left Cornell the same year that I went to go play pro. And uh, I was just talking to him, and I was asking him. I was like, "Hey, Brex, you know what? What are some things that maybe I need to do to, uh, you know, to get into coaching? Are there is there anything I need to put in place now? Are there people that I should start reaching out to, um, to kind of get the ball rolling?" And he basically was like, "Well, we have a graduate assistantship here that's open for next year. It's yours if you want it. I'll talk to Rico, and uh, you know, just to make sure. But you know, I'm pretty sure he's going to say yes, and you can come and get your master's, and um, you know, you can be our graduate assistant." is that something you'd be interested in doing? And so that was like, holy, that was a holy crap moment for me because I wasn't ready to be done playing. Um, but, uh, that, I mean, what an opportunity, you know, that's not something that you, you pass up very often. Um, so, you know, I took a couple days and literally didn't sleep, didn't sleep at all because here I'm thinking, what a great opportunity to get into coaching. That's going to be my next passion. But, you know, I'll have to leave the thing that I love so much. And, and you know, I don't even know if I can live without playing hockey. Um, so literally didn't sleep for like two or three days. Um, was talking with Emma, who was my fiance at the time, wife now. And, you know, just pulling my hair out. I didn't know what to do. And um, so eventually I was like, I have to make a decision now and just go with it because I can't go any more sleepless nights <laughs> trying to figure this out. And, uh, you know, eventually it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. So told Brex I'm in. And, and, uh, so I think that was in like January. So from January to, you know, whatever is the end of, end of March, I knew that those were going to be my last games. And that was really, really hard. Um, knowing that every time I hit the ice was going to be kind of like the last times I was going to play for real. Right. And then I just remember we were kind of in a playoff race, but not really. Um, and I remember at some point in February, 
Um, we had lost and we were on a losing streak and, and I just remember losing it, just absolutely losing it. I had to go into the coach's room and I just started bawling my eyes out. And, uh, you know, a couple of the guys saw me and kind of came in and, and I, I had told a couple guys at that point that, that this was my last go around and, and that I was going to take that job at Miami, but, um, just it, it all came out and I'll never forget that. I even, Jesus, I'm even emotional talking about it right now. Um, but that was really, really hard. And, uh, but at the end of the day, it was a great decision because, you know, Miami was an unbelievable experience and, and is part of the journey to where I am right now. So, um, it was tough leaving playing hockey. It's all I ever known. It's my identity. It's, it's all I ever wanted to do. Um, but you make decisions in life sometimes that, um, that are tough and, and here we are. What kind of things would you say you learned from that first year of, I mean, you're, you're on the staff, you're a graduate assistant, you're not a full blown, you know, coach, but were you like the buddy of the guys? Were you doing video? What kind of things were you doing that first year? So I, my experience at Miami was unbelievable. And a lot of the reason because of that is because the coaches that I worked with were awesome. So between Rico Blasi and Brent Brecky and Nick Petraglia, um, they were such good guys and they gave me a ton of rope too. So I didn't, I, I obviously learned a lot by watching, but they also threw me into the fire and I was doing a lot of skill work with the players. Um, by the end of the year, I was doing the pre-scouts and the video breakdowns uh, and things like that. So um, in terms of just learning the craft, uh, it was great. And one thing that I'll, I'll say too is, um, you know, that year I watched most of the games from the press box uh, unless one of the coaches was out recruiting. And in terms of the game of hockey, I learned so much by watching video and doing the pre-scouts and then watching from up top so you, cause you can see, and you could almost predict a lot of the things that were going to happen because you knew the systems we were doing, you knew the systems they were doing, you know what our top players were doing, you knew what their top players were doing. And, um, so I, that's why I think watching video and, 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 you know, when you're at a game, even live, like sit up top and just kind of watch. Um, and I, I learned so much about the game from that year from even just doing that. But, you know, it was a great group of guys. We won the, we won the, the CCHA championship that year. Uh, we were a number one seed going into the tournament. We ended up losing in the first round to UNH. But um, Andy Mealy won the Hobie Baker that year. And that was a year where I really recognized how much hard work for an individual player can go into, um, you know, being better because meals, he, he worked so hard that year. We did so much stuff together. Um, you know, he would literally, I think I said it on an earlier podcast, literally I would be late to classes cause he was like, you're not going to class. You're going to work with me and do stuff. Um, but it just, you just saw him get better and better and better and saw a bunch of the other guys that started to do that stuff too, get better and better. And, uh, it was an unbelievable experience. And, uh, the people that I worked with were great. Uh, the opportunity that he gave me to, to kind of make mistakes and, and be a, a full blown coach on the staff was unbelievable. And, uh, um, can't say enough about my time in Miami. It was awesome. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Very cool. Very cool. So then you finish your graduate assistant ship, I guess you call at uh, Miami. What's the next stop? Next stop is Cornell. 
So, and again, you know, you got to get lucky sometimes, right? So that year where I finished up my degree at Miami, um, both assistant coaches at Cornell left. Um, so Casey Jones went to take the head coaching job at Clarkson and, and Scotty Garrow, who was actually a coach of mine, uh, he ended up taking an assistant coaching job at, at Princeton. And, uh, so there were two jobs open and typically in college, you, you want to hire guys with recruiting experience because recruiting is such a big part of the game. And, uh, but because both of the coaches left, um, you know, Shafe thought that he can, you know, get a guy who, who didn't have as much experience. Um, and so I was able to get that job. And, and, uh, I mean, my time coaching at Cornell, again, I learned a lot. It was a great experience. Um, Benny Sire, who I think he even might've talked to you when he was at Quinnipiac. He talked like to everybody. Me. <laughs> exactly. Talked talk to everyone in Omaha. <laughs> everyone knew Ben Sire. So, I mean, I honestly can't say enough good things about this guy. Um, to come in my first year as a full-time assistant coach, um, to learn from Benny. Um, I still consider him one of my best friends. I talk to him all the time. Um, unbelievable human being. And, um, just, he was the best. He was the absolute best. And, um, you know, <laughs> talk to Emma and talk to his wife, you know, we talk to each other more than we talk to our wives, <laughs> you know, being on the road and talking hockey and talking recruiting and all that kind of stuff. And, um, he was a great mentor for me and I learned so much from him too. And, um, was a big part of the reason my experience at Cornell was great was just being able to work with him. And, and, uh, um, again, it all goes back to people. Like we talk about it all the time. Like if you want to have a good experience, you want to get better, surround yourself with the best people. And I've been very, very fortunate in my career, both playing and coaching to be surrounded by great people. I had great family, as you know, um, I have great, uh, coaches growing up. I had great friends, um, in high school, um, and, and growing up, I mean, we never got into trouble and, and we were, you know, didn't do things that kids are doing at much younger ages now in terms of, you know, drinking and all that kind of stuff. Um, just, just had a great support system. And, you know, obviously I think God has, has blessed me with some pretty good talents, but there's no way that I got to where I get to without having unbelievable people in my corner. Yeah, you've got one really good person in your corner right now. That's for sure. He's talking to you. Uh, how about? Uh, I remember a line from that movie Mystery Alaska where John Beebe's wife is trying to like console him and is like, "Well, John, uh, you know every every former player turned coach always says that they prefer coaching to playing." And his answer is something to the effect of, "Well, that's because they can't play anymore." <laughs> so, what would you say? What do you? What have you liked more, being a, a player or a coach? Oh, dude, player, hundred times yeah. out of a hundred. I yeah, I love coaching. Uh, you know, it's a it's an unbelievable experience being able to you know mold the next generation if that's what you want to call it, and have a positive influence on on younger kids but at the end of the day there's nothing like playing hockey you know even when we get back together and, and play some higher level hockey with whether it's alumni games you get good skates in your town or stuff like that it, it gets your blood flowing like never before and uh, I, I still miss playing there's parts of me that still thinks I could play I'm sure there's still parts of you that thinks you could play uh, there's nothing like being a hockey player that's that's our identity from when and, you know, we put the skates on to when we take them off at the end of the day. And I think, well, I don't know if I'll ever, you know, that'll ever change. <laughs> Love that. Um, the same way. So we had our, we had our talk with, uh, we recorded our talk with, uh, the mental coach, Matthew Calderoni yesterday. Not sure when we're putting that one out, but we, we talked a lot about reflection with him and I wanted to have you reflect 
back on your career because you know our whole goal of this podcast is to help people and advise them and tell them about our experiences and how they can learn from them looking over everything from start to start of your career you know as a youngster till now what are some of the you know the landmines you would have tried to avoid what are some of the the piece of the biggest pieces of advice you think would affect the most people like what, what are some things looking back at your own personal career that you, you could say, you know what, maybe I would have done this differently or this definitely helped me um, just for everyone listening? Um, you know, it's funny. You talk about landmines. Um, we all hit landmines and, you know, landmines are a big piece of the of the journey and they're necessary pieces of the journey. And I would say that the landmines that I hit, you know, in terms of going to junior hockey too early, maybe a little bit, um, tearing my ACL, um, you know, what happened with me in pro hockey and not making it as far as I wanted to go. It's all part of the journey and it's all a learning experience. So, you know, you talk about what would I avoid? I wouldn't avoid any of it. You know, I wouldn't trade any of those tough times for, um, from, for other things because I love where I'm at right now. You know, I have a, a beautiful family. I have a daughter. Um, my wife and I are going on nine years of marriage. We have a house over our heads, a uh, lot of love. And that's all that really matters at the end of the day. And had it not been for those experiences, um, good and bad, I, I wouldn't be here. And uh, um, so in terms of avoiding, avoiding landmines, I, I, I wouldn't. I would go right through them. Um, you know, in terms of lessons that I've learned, the biggest thing that, that I've learned throughout this journey in my hockey career is it's all about people. It literally is all about people. Um, you know, if you surround yourself with the right people, you're, you're in a good spot and you're going to enjoy your experience. You're going to learn. Um, I'm not saying there's not going to be tough times, but those people will help you through the tough times. And, um, I have, I, I absolutely by, by choice of, of luck got born to two unbelievable parents. Um, you know, my mom and dad are, are two of the best people that I know and uh, they have helped me through so much. They always taught me to believe in myself no matter what. Um, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. I have an amazing sister. Uh, my sister is, you know, Jess, she is um, passionate. <laughs> she is, you know, she's going to get what she wants. Um, she is, you know, just driven. She's a special education teacher and, and does so much for kids with special needs. And, um, you know, she's got a beautiful family with two sons and a great husband now. And, um, you know, and then there's my brothers and I've talked about my brothers on a few podcasts. Like to me, um, they're the most inspirational people that I know. So my little brothers are seven years younger than me. They both have special needs. Um, they've taught me so much in life. Um, you know, about empathy, about perseverance, about perspective. Um, I, I would not be the person I am today if it wasn't for, for Max and Jake, my little brothers. And the, again, I, I go back to it. The, the impact that they've had on me um, as seven years younger and having special needs, just what they go through on a day-to-day -day basis and, and how they persevere through things, um, you know, they're my heroes and I would not be the person I am today if it wasn't for them. And I'm trying really hard not to get emotional right now. <laughs> um, yeah, you know how I get when I talk about them. Um, they're the best. And again, it all goes back to people, everybody that I've had in my corner, everybody that's, um, challenged me, everybody that supported me. Um, I, I honestly couldn't ask for better people that I've had. And, uh, that's what it's all about, right? It's all about the people.
That's awesome, buddy. And I know, I know Maximus is listening and, uh, Jake the snake. I know he listens sometimes too. We love you guys. And, uh, just a teaching point off of that. Cause I know some of the hard times that they had to go through <clears throat> in high school when I was, or, or when I was living with you and, and right after, and they were, you know, telling me about kind of some of the things they were going through. And then something recently that happened in my own organization with, with, um, not good teammates and, and bullying and, and, and stuff like that. And I just want to say to, to all the kids out there listening, like your teammates are your family. Like here, Tofa is here sitting here at 33 years old and he's talking about how much fun and how he can remember like it was yesterday playing on his Bantam team at 14 years old. I mean, it's almost 20 years later and he remembers every second of it. So just, I want you to think about that when you're going in the locker room and maybe there's a kid on the team who's, you know, skinny like I was, or, or maybe there's a kid who's chubby or maybe there's a kid who's goofy or he's only got one parent. Like that's your team. That's your family away from your family. Like lift everyone around you up. Topher and I have talked before on this podcast about you don't want to surround yourself with energy vampires. Be that person in the locker room that puts everyone in a good mood, that makes everyone smile, that makes everyone work hard, that makes everyone happy. Don't ever put people down. It's 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 a waste of your time. You know, you're not helping anyone with that bullshit. Like be a good person. That will get you further in life than putting anyone down ever. And the more people you can bring up with you as a team for when it's when it's relating to hockey, you will be a better team. There's nothing like being on a team that cares for each other, loves each other, protects each other. There's nothing like that. And the rest of your life, you'll remember those teams where everyone's a brother. Yeah, yeah. And just just to kind of go along with that, I I don't think that can be um, understated enough. You know, my brothers were bullied on their hockey teams. They they were able to make their JV hockey team uh, right outside of Chicago. And uh, they were bullied. And that was the hardest part about being away at Cornell was the fact that I knew that that stuff was going on and and, uh, I wasn't around. You know, as as the big brother to to kind of put an arm around and stuff like that, and there's only so much you can do over the phone, and there wasn't FaceTime or anything like that at that point. Um, but yeah, I, I the kids need to know your words matter. You know how you treat people matters, and you might think sometimes you're sarcastic and you're joking um, and things like that, but you never know. You never know the effect that you're having on other people. So why be negative? Like why put people down? Um, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's not going to get you anywhere in life. And at the end of the day, I saw how much they struggled being bullied by, by people in their high school and, uh, and people on their hockey team. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not right. And it, you know, we always talk about with our guys, it's, that's unacceptable and, and coaches too have a pulse. Like know if that stuff is going on, um, be around and, and talk to the kids and see what's going on because, you know, had my brothers had coaches that, that, you know, tried to form relationships with the players and tried to impart some, some positivity and wisdom on them, you know, maybe that stuff doesn't happen. Um, so I think coaches are as, as big a part of it as, as the kids and, and they need to know what's going on in their locker rooms and they have to, you know, ask questions and, and, and be a part of it too. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, uh, a psychologist by any means. I mean, you have way more background in psychology than I do, obviously, but usually, you know, don't they say like, if you're, if you're putting other people down, it's because of something you're insecure about yeah, in your, your own, own life. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if, if you're feeling like you need to do that, like we talked about earlier, like, why don't you go look in the mirror and reflect and be like, why am I saying this about other people? Why do I need to feel like 
good off of putting someone else down. And seriously, think about it. And especially if you're on a team, like, are, are you jealous that they're getting more coaching time, whatever it is. And then, and then, you know, just talk to them in a positive way and try and change it and try and go and get whatever it is that you're missing, whether it's, you need to talk to the coach more, or you want to play more, maybe you got to work harder. Don't be, I mean, I see so many kids that get jealous of, you know, that, that first, the best player on the team, cause he's playing so much. Well, he's probably working the hardest or he's doing this when you're not looking. So don't put him down. Be like, Hey, can I work with you? Can I do this with you? Like, let's bring everyone up. The world needs more love and let's be being on a team is a special thing. I mean, there, there's nothing like playing on youth sports teams and pro teams and college teams, all these teams. It is so much fun. And when you get to the real world, it's a little more cutthroat. So enjoy your time with your teammates and form relationships and they'll last forever. And you never know, <laughs> looking at it selfishly, you never know on your team who's going to be like uh, the next Bill Gates. So maybe be nice to that, uh, that nerdy guy because, you know, maybe he's going to be a billionaire and later on he can fix your computer or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, it's uh, it's all about people, man. I mean, I, I I've always known that, and then when I got into the college recruiting game, um, that's it's even amplified even more. You meet so many people, um, ninety five percent of them good, and uh, you know, you get to um, I, honestly, the best part about being an assistant coach at Cornell was was when you offer a kid a spot on the team and they take it, and you know that you've changed that kid's life forever. You know, I mean, that's such a cool feeling and you see, you see how much the kid, um, gets excited by it, but then you take a look at mom and dad and you know, how much do parents sacrifice for kids? You know, like it's, it's insane. And, and I certainly won the parent lottery. I think you would probably say the same thing. Um, you know, seeing the parents look and maybe it's not even necessarily the parents, thinking that their kid is getting a great opportunity, but they see their kids and, and how proud they are of their kids for the work that they put in. But then you, like, you just know how much work that the parents and the sacrifices that they had to. It's, that was the best part about my job, being able to do that for people. And uh, you know, I was sitting in their shoes you know, 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier, um, being that kid that got really excited. And yeah, goo, we're old. Um, years, Jesus. Yeah, maybe not 15 years, but 10 years. Um, uh, 14. And, 14, whatever. Um, that, that was cool. That was a cool part of my job. And, and that's a, a big piece of what I miss is, is the recruiting side of it and meeting so many good people and, uh, forming relationships with, with coaches around the country and, and, and families and kids. That was, that was pretty neat. That's awesome, buddy. So let's, let's finish it off here with, uh, with kind of what you're doing now. Um, you know, you started the hockey think tank website, you started the hockey think tank podcast with an extremely attractive uh charismatic co-host and uh that's you know, debatable <laughs> got me um you know where do you see yourself in the next few years like w- w- what do you have going on i mean i know what you have going on now but for the listeners what do you have going on now what are your goals um what do you want to do with this hockey think tank website podcast all these things w- where do you want to be um, I don't know. I'm just trying to live in the moment. That's one thing that I've learned over the past couple of years, you know, not being around the game and having a lot of time to reflect and, you know, not having every day being very structured and crazy. Um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm trying to live in the moment and, and that's a huge piece of what I'm trying to do. But, you know, when I got done coaching and, and I decided to leave, um, Cornell, I, you know, I didn't have a plan B. 
Um, and, and I've been very open on this podcast that that was a really, really tough time. Cause as you know, I mean, players struggle with that all the time. When you, when you feel like you don't have an identity anymore, um, or a purpose, that's, that's tough. And, um, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I've been very open that I went to and sought some counseling just to kind of try and help and figure some stuff out because you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and, uh, that was, that was kind of tough. Um, but, at the end of the day, it all went back to what I've said the whole time is that just surround yourself with good people, right? So I started having some conversations with Brandon Nerado um, and Brian Kane, who we're going to have on the podcast at some point, and just, just to kind of, you know, shoot the breeze and talk hockey and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that led to us getting together one night in January in, in Detroit and saying, hey, like, why don't we, why don't we do something? Like, and one of the things that I really learned um, through my time uh, as a coach at Cornell. And then, you know, after that, just talking to a lot of people about the youth hockey game was that there's just a huge need for education in, in the sport right now. And not just educating people on, you know, X's and O's and, and systems and, and skill development and hockey development, but culture development and too, because the youth hockey world right now, I don't think is very healthy. Um, and so we were like, hey, like, let's just put a lot of information out there. Let's see what we can do. And we ended up coming with a, up with an idea to, to start this website. And um, it's kind of gotten us to where we are now with the podcast and, um, you know, just trying to do as much as we can to, to educate people that are passionate about hockey, about um, the right way to do things. And, and I mean, not necessarily the right way to do things, but our opinion on, on how we think things should be done. And, uh, and I'm, I'm enjoying the hell out of it, man. And where do you see, where do I see myself in, in five years? I have no idea. Um, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say I would love to get back into to the higher levels of hockey at, at some point. Um, you know, right now that's not in the cards. I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing with this and, and want to continue doing this and see where it goes. But, um, I'm having a blast doing this. Um, I'm having a blast talking to people about hockey that, uh, that I've never met and getting emails and texts and, um, you know, messages on social media and stuff. And, um, really appreciate the, the following that we've, that we've kind of garnered here with what we're doing. And, and, uh, hopefully we can continue to make a positive difference in the hockey world. That's our goal. Very cool, Toski. Well, I know that uh, I feel lucky to be doing this with you. And uh, I know a lot of people, you know, like we, we both get a lot of positive feedback from this. And it's very cool that we get to be doing that. And, and you know, there's something to be said for just whatever your biggest passion is. Just try and make that your life. Because, I mean, I don't think I work a day. I don't think I've ever worked a day in my life. I played hockey in my first career. I I own a, a training company for hockey players now that I retired and I do this. I mean, every day I get to talk hockey, I get to hang out with you. I get to hang out with young hockey players that are hungry to get better. And it is so exciting. And, um, you know, I kind of followed your footsteps. I saw how passionate you were with, with coaching. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stay in hockey. And, and he loves what he's doing. And, and I love helping people. And it's really cool that we were able to kind of, kind of bring our passions together and be able to work on this project together. And, for those of you listening, uh, don't ever be afraid to reach out to Tof because he is a great person. And if you have a question or you have something, don't be afraid to uh, message him on Twitter, Instagram, email him. I think is what is it? Hockey Think Tank Tofer? What is it? <laughs> Amazing golf ball whacker guy <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, Tofer at the hockey think tank.com. And, and seriously, like I really mean it to reach out. Um, if I can help any kind of situation, um, 
please do. That's why we're doing this. Um, and, and I wanted to say too, cause I kind of glazed over it before, but you know, when I left coaching, um, I did, you know, I was in, I don't want to say I was in a really rough spot, but I, I was in a tough spot. You know, I had left my dream job and, you know, didn't have a plan B of, of what I wanted to do. And, and so I mentioned that I had went and gone and sought counseling. Um, and it wasn't a big deal, right? Like I went and saw somebody and she just kind of helped me get my thoughts in order. Um, and I know there's a lot of people out there who are struggling, um, with whatever, some people have much more, you know, tougher problems than, than I did. And, and other people do please, please, please don't be afraid to go and ask for help. You know, even if you're a kid and you want to get on the same page as your coach, please go talk to him. Um, if you're having mental health issues or, you know, if there's something bothering you, please don't be afraid to ask for help. You're not weak. Um, you're actually strong for asking for help. I think that's one of the strongest things you can, you can ever do. Um, and, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with anybody. Um, just people go through different things that sometimes they don't know how to handle. And, and sometimes you just need a different perspective on, on how to think about certain situations that you're in or, or even what you think about yourself. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's, there's a lot of really good people in this world um, who are willing to go the extra mile for anybody. And, uh, but sometimes you just have to take that initiative and ask for it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I encourage anybody that's, he has questions or are struggling with anything, whether it's me, whether it's Jeff, whether it's anybody in your family or whatever it may be, reach out. And, uh, there's always people there to help. That's the one great thing about this world with all the negativity that's going on in this world. Sometimes we forget that, you know, 99% of the people that surround us are, are really good people and be willing to do things for you. So, um, just wanted to, you kind of let into that right there with the last thing that you were saying. So I wanted to make sure that, uh, that I got that out there. I love it, buddy. Absolutely love it. Um, uh, for anybody who's a newer listener, uh, this podcast was all about TOF. TOF on our first ever podcast did the same thing and flipped the script and he interviewed me because um, I know we've had more and more followers. So uh, I encourage you guys to go back who are newer listeners and, and not only listen to one where TOF interviewed me, but listen to all the beginning episodes that we had. I mean, Rob Shrimp, Cam Jansen, and we've had so many, so many guests that have given like so much positive information and, and stories and, uh, you know, I listen to these all the time because I learned something new every time I listen to them. And I'm like, man, yeah. So if you're a newer listener, I hope you like this episode where uh, we got to get, get a little more into uh, Tove's head. But uh, keep liking, sharing, all that stuff. Uh, and, and don't be afraid to message us. And we'll see you next time on the Hockey Think Tank podcast. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great, uh, have a great week. And uh, look forward to continuing doing this with everybody. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I'll just press stop. <laughs> <laughs>